First-time guest and uh, someone that uh, I've been uh, digital friends with for a few years online is he's the great uh, Shama Chancellor, um, developer, engineer. Um, he's been associated with uh, Bitcoin ABC, Cloudflare, a whole bunch of big projects, and he's here to kind of talk about privacy wallets. A new project he's got in the works called um, Stamp. And before we get into all of that, Shama, man, it's so great to have you on. Thanks, thanks for thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm looking at the article here. It is called uh, published to read.cash called "Taking Back Our Identities," and <laughs> it was put up five days ago. And what a hell of a time for this to come out. I think it's it's you know prescient. It's it's important um, as uh, as events are unfolding in front of us here in the wake of coronavirus and. Uh, the legacy financial system doing its thing and, and people being a little frazzled. Uh, there might be, uh, I'm hoping, um, maybe a, a return to looking at things like uh, peer-to-peer electronic cash. And that's kind of where you come in. But before uh, we get into your new project here, Stamp, which looks really interesting, um, you, you sort of begin the piece, which we'll link to in the show notes here, uh, talking a little bit about the centralization of the internet. and uh, certainly decentralization is kind of a buzzword in our, uh, in our ecosystem, but, but what in, in particular concerns you, I guess, about uh, an, an ever-increasing uh, centralizing of the net? More and more, a smaller minority of people who get to decide whether you have um, the ability to use major platforms. Um, like, for example, I can, I don't, I don't tend to watch YouTube much, but you know, there's major content producers on there um, that were very popular, like louder with Crowder or Tim pool. Some of these other um, shows and channels that were demonetized and people don't realize that this is effectively um, the new mass communication platform for a lot of people. And these content producers had staff. They were making millions of dollars a year on their views. uh, And they were putting out valuable information that people relied on. And when they're demonetized, they were demonetized based on differences of opinions. Um, Differences of opinions with the staff members that work at those companies. All those companies are based in the Bay Area where I currently live. Mm. And the majority of the people here have tend to have far left sort of socialist views, ironically, even though they're working at some of the biggest capitalist companies on the planet. Um, and so if they find you uh, disagreeing with their opinions, they, you know, staff themselves as individuals might take action against your, against your channel 
and the other staff might not hold them accountable for that, even though it's not necessarily a good economic decision for their company overall. Mm. And and we now have this situation where shareholders are very abstracted because everything's um, publicly traded and like mom and pops have access to buy and sell stock. It's sort of seen as like a generalized um, asset, but the shareholders aren't actually like operating like business owners. They don't really take an active interest in it. And so given that these platforms have so much content flowing through them and have the ability to either remove you completely or demonetize you, uh, they effectively control what the acceptable window of ideas are that people can uh, exchange Mm -hmm. online. And if people never are exposed to alternative ideas, they don't have the opportunity to consider them. Um, I personally grew up a Jehovah's Witness. Mm. And part of that worldview is that all of the non, uh, all of the media that is not put out by the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society is sort of from Satan and you shouldn't consume it. And so you get all of your information from this one source or like one source and a few approved sources. And there's enough truth to it that when you hear other people talk about things, you think that you already know their full viewpoint and you already have an answer for why it's wrong, even though you don't actually know because you've gotten this sort of viewpoint through a lens. And so just to summarize, like very critical that people have access to a wide variety of information, whether you like it, that particular content or not, so people can make their own evaluations and decisions. And as this all becomes more centralized under people that are very intolerant of alternative views, uh, society starts to constrict and valuable information is lost that may make better decisions about how we all live our lives. And I like that you, you provide the contrast between um, so-called progressive thinkers that uh, have all the right opinions and uh, what would uh, be, I guess, considered uh, more conservative thinking that they all sort of, um, I guess, rally around this point of uh, controlling opinion and, and filtering in such a way. And it's, yeah, and, and go ahead. There are, there, there's valuable information on both sides. If you really take a step back, like they have uh, viewpoints that are worth considering, but taken in the extreme, you, you, you end up having uh, policies put in place that are very destructive overall. Yeah, and it's it's um, it, it's interesting that that you you brought up uh, being uh, uh, growing up in the Jehovah's Witness um, witnesses. Um, they're they're in the United States. They occupy a really interesting uh, slice of sort of ironic um, freedom of ideas. Um, they're they're often credited, maybe by you know sort of backing into it um, with uh, with freedom of association gains and freedom of speech gains under, under religious, um, religious legal battles. And so it's interesting that this, this confluence of, uh, again, sort of the uber progressive and the uber conservative that they, they each, and, and there's more to life than just even those two poles of opinion, I'm sure uh, most people would agree, but your, your ultimate point here is that it's, it's taking shape now um, in the public square um, amongst uh, uh, companies that uh, that are that are kind of gaining a larger and larger uh, 
a slice of our our online activity. And so so this obviously you know spurs a lot of ideas and and a lot of thinking on your part. And somehow in the article here, uh, that gets you thinking a little bit about um, Hal Finney. And so, so weave him into the conversation now and uh, his, um, his uh, you call it a dream, which I, I, I liked your phrasing, um, of uh, reusable proof of work. So how do we get from the concern of centralization of the net and uh, Hal Finney, who was he and all that good stuff? So... Uh, let me take a step back to these platforms and mm -hmm. then that'll give context to what Hal Finney was talking about. Um, in the early days of like early 2000s, people tended to use uh, more federated systems. So the, the networks were um, a lot of different hosting providers sort of freely associating with one another. Like IRCs had a lot of relays. SMTP, you could send email through, it's all interoperable. And we've seen a move to these platforms like Telegram and Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, et cetera, that they don't interoperate with one another. They're not federated systems. Hmm. And the, the reason for that, um, I believe, is because people realize they could advertise. And it's very inexpensive to send advertising via email and Usenet and IRC. And it's very hard to get rid of it off of those platforms because they're essentially free and there's no way to verify an identity. And so we have exchanged our, uh, the X spam we get by moving to progressively, like SMTP, for example, is basically centralized now to spin up a SMTP server that is going to be able to send email that's accepted by Google and these other large email providers is extremely expensive. It requires a lot of um, sort of a lot of sign offs and like mm. um, check boxes from centralized authorities. Now so it's not really a federated system anymore. Um, but WhatsApp, Telegram, Facebook Messenger, Reddit, they all require you to give an email from one of these more centralized email providers. And if you spam or, or violate their terms of service, they're going to ban you and they're going to ban you based on that email and you can never get another account. So you've lost some real, like they effectively burned a real world asset. Hmm. And, that's, and that's what keeps spam down on these platforms. Or they're attached to a phone number, right? And you a phone number is generally somewhat expensive to get either in terms of time or money. Um, and I think like also thinking about this in terms of those emails, all of your identities on these other platforms are now associated with one identifier that is controlled by another organization than yourself. So if for whatever reason you somehow violate Google's terms of service and they bar you from access to your email, it may not be possible that you're able even able to access any of the other accounts that you have without mm -hmm. first trying to somehow get your account back with Google. This at one point happened to Jordan Peterson where his account was banned. Right. Uh, and it was banned because not because Google wanted him banned, but because somebody uh, exploited a bug in Google's uh, automatic banning system, such that they registered a bunch of names that were very similar to his. Um, so with that in mind, um, the, the primary problem then is that we can't use these relay-based systems that are open because of spam. So, 
So, so that's some, sort of the, 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 the trade-off then, right? Yeah. So if we could find a way to deal with spam, we could use uh, relay systems again that are not controlled by single entities and, and nobody has sort of the authority to like take over your identity or ban you from the platform. And so the way that Hal Finney thought about this was that um, if you could actually make the expensive messaging um, be experienced by the sender of a message, then that person would not be able to send mass emails, but sort of everyone else that is just talking normally to one another is still able to accept that burden. So for example, if I want to talk to you, you're a valuable friend of mine, I may have no problem sending you $10 with the expectation that when you respond to my message, you'll send it back to me. But if I want to send a mass email to everyone and sort of have an outsized um, impact on the world relative to my place in society, I would have to spend a lot of money to do that. Mm. And with the, out the, without any idea whether I would get that money back. And so I would quickly, if I'm not saying valuable things to other people, I would quickly go bankrupt. And, and so how did, how did Finney address that in, in particular? He would, well, go ahead. So his idea, and it predates Bitcoin, was this concept of reusable proof of work. Now, it's um, more of a thought experiment because it can't actually exist, not in the way that he envisioned it. Um, but the idea was that you could burn some real resources to produce a hash that had a lot of zeros in the beginning, and you could attach that uh, cryptographically to a message, and the person could... Uh, on the receiving end could verify that you did some work to send that message. And then they could take that token and exchange it for a new one and use that to send another message to someone else. And if you wanted to send a lot of spam, then you would have to somehow obtain a bunch of these tokens, either by generating them or buying them from other people. Um, and so that, that was his idea, but it, just in practice, that doesn't really work. But Bitcoin as an idea uh, introduces a ledger and the issuance of a non-hash item, a token, that represents a past amount of hash that was performed. Now, it's not one-to-one, -one, but in essence, Bitcoin is actually the like real functioning system of reusable proof-of-work that Hal envisioned. Hmm. And for, for listeners who aren't aware of who Hal Finney was, um, he is um, certainly the, the, I guess, the, the first to maybe um, either receive Bitcoin or, or um, a, a lot of people think he was actually Satoshi or was at least at the, at the very beginnings of Bitcoin, right? And uh, there's, there's obviously... Yeah, he was definitely the first person that received any Bitcoin and it's possible that satoshi was i mean i actually tend to think it was that satoshi was a uh sort of a pseudonym for him hmm. all right so he he's an important figure here and the confluence of centralizing internet um <clears throat> ever more gatekeepers 
uh, shutting people down leads you back to sort of the, the source here, uh, Hal Finney and his, uh, his early machinations. And then that, yep. and that leads you to do what exactly? Well, I think, I think his idea was great. Um, and the, the, the other thing that it ends up doing is that these tokens actually become valuable. And so they can be used to pay for lots of other things than just sending messages. Um, they end up having some intrinsic value and that allows for uh, a, you know, a digital cash-like system that gets rid of the other problem of centralization, which is around banks and payment mechanisms. Like you don't need, if you have Bitcoin, you don't need to go through Square to make an online transaction to somebody else. You don't need to go through a credit card provider. It's a push-based model rather than a poll-based model that goes through a centralized system. Um, and that, that friction of dealing with the banking industry has also uh, sort of accelerated the centralization of the internet. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I just want to make it a reality. Um, I want to see if it will work. And so I'm, I'm trying to do that with this, this project I currently call Stamp. It's not, uh, Stamp is actually the, the name of sort of the open source uh, free front end to it. But the, the real idea is to provide uh, a layer two uh, sort of network on top of Bitcoin Cash that allows um, the exchange of messages. And these messages can be structured or unstructured like it could be something like an email or it could be the negotiation of a, a spend of a multi-sig wallet between two wallets automatically. Um, uh, this layer two network has a stamp attached to it, which is simply a Bitcoin cash transaction that is cryptographically verifiable uh, that it is attached to that particular message. Okay, and so as that idea kind of kind of works around, and, and you're um, attempting to uh, to to make it, um, I guess, live in the, in the real world. How how's progress coming on it? Um, have you, I mean, has it gone from the idea phase into the actual? I sort of know the answer to this, but I, I kind of want to lead the uh, the question here. Um, has it has it actually become a real world thing, or do you have uh, code and all that stuff going? We have a rare, very, very rough prototype. It works on testnet right now. Um, it does, uh, it will exchange. So one of the, the nice things about this system is that your identity is essentially your Bitcoin cash address on that. And you uh, essentially produce a, you know, a stake of some Bitcoin cash and that provides you with an account and you send like a small amount of money with each message to talk to people. Um, so we have a rough prototype of that. Uh, where we have a relay server and another, uh, essentially a lookup server. Um, so when you scan someone's Bitcoin cash address, it'll go to the, the sort of the identity uh, system, which is all peer to peer. And it will look to see what your public key is and a number of other information with you. Uh, and, and then also look up where you receive messages. And then it can use your public key to send you encrypted messages back and forth. And, and so the, the initial prototype that uses the, the actual protocol, the, the backend network protocol, is essentially a, a, tele, a telegram clone that has an integrated wallet. Um, and so you can add your Bitcoin Cash friends on there and send them money back and forth. Interesting. And how do you, how do you envision this? I mean, 
it's it's going to be obviously to kind of a remnant, a, a group of uh, wonky um, people at first who are you know somewhat tech savvy. Um, but what's your what's your ultimate hope uh, for something like this? Because obviously the the more centralizing forces don't seem to be going away at all. So with Stamp, what what do you hope to you know eventually achieve? Um, so my hope is that uh, provide uh, some initial infrastructure. So like a few initial relays and the initial lookup server, um, and then provide this sort of free wallet that people can use. It's interoperable with uh, legacy wallets, but it has a bunch of other functionality that becomes very useful when you're talking to another user mm-hmm. of stamp or another user of a wallet that supports the same protocols. Um, and then I'm, I'm, there's just tons of different things that can be built on top of it once you have encrypted messages that can be sent directly between two wallets. Um, and my hope is that by sort of providing this initial experience that I'll, I'll spark people's imagination sort of in the way that Hal sparked mine and that lots of other things will be getting built on top of it. Because, because it, it just enables a... a an insane amount of functionality on the internet that we don't currently have the ability to even produce. My hope is that that will cause the user base to expand so that there's services that are all sort of built on this protocol. And I think that if we can provide an initial sort of bootstrap to the experience, that a lot of this sort of libertarian, uh, privacy-minded, freedom-minded people will start using it. And those individuals are very intolerant. (laughs) Right. Right? They're super intolerant. I'm very intolerant. If this worked for me, if I had a mobile app, I had a desktop app, if I could share state across, that's one of the other things that this wallet does is that you can, uh, it synchronizes across your devices just like, you know, Telegram messages would. Mm. Um, And if I had access to that, I would use it. And I also would no longer use Telegram. I would no longer use uh, WhatsApp. I would, no, I would no longer use Facebook Messenger. I would tell people like, "You want to send me a message? Do it here." Um, and and I would provide that to people. Um, and so I think that more and more people will hopefully do that, and and the user base will grow. But there's sort of another interesting component here, and that is the the fact that there's now payments integrated with it uh, in a way that like WhatsApp and Telegram and 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 uh, other messaging systems can't. So as soon as somebody has this wallet, you know they can receive payments. Right, so, and there's also, yeah. like you were kind of hinting at, a, a sort of disincentive to be, for lack of a better phrase, a dick, right? Oh yeah, I mean, people aren't gonna respond to you and you're gonna lose money. But the, anybody that wants to build on top of this platform, let's say they wanna build a gambling platform, or they can write a bot that messages people and they message back and like, oh yeah, you wanna bet? like like Satoshi Dice could be built on it and mm-hmm. they can, you know, you may not, they may not send you enough money. They may not send you enough money to get you in, interested, but they know immediately that if you're uh, using stamp that you can receive money from them and there's no sign up process required and everything in between is and, and encrypted. So there's those kind of services, but any advertiser can do raffles and giveaways very easily um the, the wallet for example uh 
um, you can do authentication with any number of websites and you know as a website owner that they can send and receive payments Im immediately. Um, ha having access to the ability to authenticate someone and also know that they can send and receive payments immediately makes providing services a very streamlined experience um, for users of a wallet that supports this protocol. Um, even on like, like different websites can provide services on top. So if you get a, an, a, a fairly large user base, it sort of becomes a, a, a self-sustaining ecosystem. And I, I hope that people sort of understand too, um, if you get messages sending on top of something like this, it greatly increases transaction volume and, and increases the number of Bitcoin cash in circulation and sort of being staked and not transferred out of the network. And that would have a dramatic impact on prices. So also blocks right now, we do about 210 transactions a second is the maximum. That isn't a lot of messages. 100,000 users, 10,000 users, which are easily doable, would start to fill Bitcoin Cash blocks. Interesting. And and why why Bitcoin Cash? Like, why not BTC or or build it on uh, Ethereum or, or something else? Why? What what's so um, advantageous about using BCA? So I you know I used to work for work on Bitcoin ABC, and I've looked at a lot of these uh, digital currency protocols, and I do not believe that any of the other proof of work systems are developed in a way that can scale. Um, there are some proof of stake based systems that can mm -hmm. scale, but I'm opposed to those for other economic reasons, uh, primarily the way that coins are issued. Um, I don't think that it's any better than um, say using Square or you know, some other type of um, some kind of central bank currency. I think that proof of work provides a great uh, way to issue currency, but also that it proves that some real world effort was made. So if, if I built this on Ripple, which is doable, mm -hmm. um, I would essentially be turning all of the profit of this over to Ripple Incorporated and they can just sort of issue tokens at will. Mm -hmm. And you're back to the same problem that you were trying to solve. I, absolutely, yeah. It's all centralized under Ripple Incorporated instead of uh, uh, instead of Google or whatever the you know the whatever name you want to pick. Interesting. Um, Does it, you, since you've been so involved in in Bitcoin uh, for a while, and <clears throat> you were literally there at the birth of a uh, of Bitcoin Cash, um, th does it feel like you're you're sort of reinventing the idea again because? I get this sense from a lot of OGs um, around the ecosystem that Bitcoin, sort of the idea went in a direction that few of them like. And so it's, it's, it's sort of overemphasizing speculative markets. It's overemphasizing exchanges. Yeah. Wall Street, stuff uh, like that. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Keep going. So let's just yeah, get yeah. it all out. <laughs> well, it's, what's interesting to me is that I... I keep seeing these projects that kind of sort of are building up again. Um, I don't know. It's, it's going to sound condescending, but I, I, I mean it in, in the most earnest way. 
that you're going back to basics that you're you know let's let's strip it of of um in least in the beginning it's it's ease of use and um uh, all these uh uis and uh, these wallets that are attached and custodian uh, custodial exchanges and all sort of stuff and let's let's bring it right back down to basics and let's build it uh, again from from the skeletal foundations and this time not not screw it up um to leave it uh, permissionless trustless and all that stuff um i had a question and i i kind of lost it I, I think you see where i'm going though like there's it, it seems to me like you guys are <clears throat> kind of pulling away because you you saw the direction bitcoin is heading and you're sort of going back to the original purpose as you understood it of bitcoin is do, do, i i 100 <laughs> think that this is what uh, the problem that Bitcoin was invented to solve. And it really pains me to see um, the libertarian sort of minded crowd that want to have their own currency uh, focused on like point of sale systems and like physical use cases, because Bitcoin has a unique, um, unique functionality, right? Like what is the market niche of Bitcoin? It works as cash online. I don't have to provide my credit card number, my uh, name, my address, my phone number to buy something from another person on the internet. And um, that is the value of cryptocurrency and it enables a ton of stuff. I don't have to go, like if I want to sign up for an email account somewhere, I don't need to give them any PII, I, I don't have to give them any personal information. I can just pay them some cryptocurrency and get an email account. I can pay them some cryptocurrency and get a VPN. I don't need to put in my credit card number for a VPN provider who then, if they're actually owned by China, which the vast majority of them are owned by the Chinese government, uh, they don't know who I am. Uh, if I give them my credit card number, suddenly all the traffic that's running through that VPN provider is monitored by the Chinese government and they know who I am. Uh, not that, I, like, I personally don't, uh, that's, that's very important for people in China. It's not so important for me living in the United States. I don't care, but I have a lot of friends in China, and they need systems that, that can avoid that censorship, which is mm -hmm. massive. I used to work for Cloudflare. Cloudflare operates in China. Cloudflare can turn on and off websites in China for them. Mm -hmm. And your, your point is less about China and more about the implications of, of, of these centralizing systems. So with, with Stamp, it's the, the word that keeps coming back in my head is restoration. Yeah, it's, uh, I, 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 that's my hope. I, I really, uh, I hope that at least for a minority of people on the internet, a, a community can be built around this with sort of its own economic system and its own set of services um, from like-minded individuals. It's really, really interesting. Um, and the implications, uh, I don't think, uh, I don't think we're going to work out here, but uh, it, it's getting the juices flowing for sure. <laughs> and uh, thinking about it more and more uh, as, as you talk. So, you said you've got a real skeletal, you know, um, framework uh, up, and 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 you've got some people working on it. Um, you you end your your piece here on read.cash 
uh, which again we'll link to in the show notes. It's it's just it's fantastic reading, and and the reason that I I wanted Shama on is is to kind of rekindle again this sort of old spirit of you know removing ourselves from uh, there's there's lots to to be made of the corporate world, and and I'm not necessarily uh, poo pooing it, but uh, there there we've sort of lost our way, and uh, the reason I have um, uh, Shama on is to kind of I guess uh, bring back these, these notions that I feel like are, are being clouded over. So you're, you, you end your, your piece here with read.cash um, with, with a call to action and, and uh, what, what do you need? And if, if people are interested or, or kind of provoked by, by what they've heard here, um, what, what are you asking of them? Um, so if you're a software engineer that can develop on Electron, our initial, uh, like end end user GUI of the wallet is based on Electron. I'm hoping that other wallets will sort of adopt the protocol. Uh, if you can contribute to that, that would be extremely helpful. Uh, if you're a user and you want to play with it and, and get other people interested, it's all on testnet right now. Um, we're about to release a new version. We've made some breaking changes to the protocol to make it uh, have more functionality. Um, and then if you have money, and are like-minded and you have a lot of Bitcoin cash, um, I would implore you to donate to the project. Um, a significant amount of time and energy is being invested in this by people um, and that costs real money. And uh, the few people that are working on it right now, uh, the progress is just too slow. If we could hire, uh, you know, consulting agency to make the mobile version of the wallet. Mm. That, that would be great. Um, but all of these sorts of things cost money. But I, I really genuinely think that for Bitcoin cash holders, the return on investment would be very good. Um, there's a couple of articles that were put out on, on sort of how the return on investment would look like if you had 100,000 Bitcoin cash on various projects like this. And, and the volume and amount of use that this would get provided uh, you know, we're able to build an experience that people get addicted to, which I, I, th I think having the root of their identity be their Bitcoin Cash private key and providing them a number of basic services like email and messaging, um, password managers and, and whatnot, all based on that private key, that would get people using Bitcoin Cash significantly more than providing it in point of sale systems or something like that. Not to, not to, not to discount that, but um, I think the point of sale systems are the use case that happens after people are sort of addicted to using Bitcoin cash for all these other things. Mm. And so I, I would just implore people to, to donate and invest and, and if they want to uh, specific status updates uh, and, you know, additional information on this, um, I'm happy to, to interact one-on-one -on -one or produce updates and, and discuss how the money's being spent. Um, right now I'm paying people out of my own pocket and uh, it's from my wages that I make working in San Francisco. I am not a, not particularly wealthy, but I believe <laughs> in this project that much. Um, yeah, I, would, I just really hope that people would, would participate in any way they can. Um, and uh, a number of people have said, oh, you should go out and take VC investment and like build this like a product. Mm. But uh, what do you sell? 
right? Right, Like we come right back to the problem again, because, (laughs) you know, let's say you're contacted by Brad Glaringhouse. He says, Hey, Shama, I love this idea. Uh, Ripple Ripple Labs would love to invest. I mean, that's, that's exactly the case is like, if I want to make money on this, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to not use Bitcoin cash. I'm going to have to go to another chain. I'm going to have to go to ripple someplace. Uh, maybe I'll build it on Tron. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> all right. Or maybe I launch my, the, my own chain, but that's still a significant amount of effort. I would rather build it on Bitcoin cash, which I know is an open and distributed system and whom I trust the main developers of. Um, and my hope is that it can stay there. Although uh, I believe in this idea strong enough that I, you know, potentially look to other alternatives. But my hope is that the Bitcoin Cash community can sort of rally around this and, and help it get built out. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely rooting for you. This is an interesting project that I don't think is getting nearly enough attention. So uh, thanks, uh, thanks so much for coming on and, and discussing it with us. Um, how do people get a hold of you? How do they find you online? Uh, follow your work and uh, and get in touch with you if they're interested in this or, or any other of your ideas. So I have links to Telegram and Twitter in the article. Um, I'm also a micro president on Reddit and Twitter. Um, you can DM me in either place and I'll uh, get it and respond. Um, and then uh, also I have a limited uh, group on Telegram right now um, that I'd be happy to invite people on if they want to beta test. Yeah, Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Uh, it's, it's an awesome little project and uh, it has, uh, it has some really, um, really giant implications if it, if it takes off and I'm, I'm curious to, to see where it goes. So again, thanks so much for coming on, man. And, and all the best to you. Thank you.